Section nine of A Picture Book of Merry Tales by Anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section nine, chapters thirty six through forty. Chapter thirty six. Twelve men of Gotham go out fishing together. Twelve men of Gotham settled to go out fishing together and as the anticipation of pleasure is nearly worth the pleasure itself they fixed the time a fortnight off and each day during the interval made some preparation for the great day the appointed day came in due course and it was cold and drizzling but the twelve met for what true sportsman would allow weather to stop him they were all in the highest spirits and their conversation was of the wittiest and most brilliant description as you will judge it must have been when you know more of the men i do not attempt to give it you here being well aware that i could not possibly do it justice when they got to the riverside after a lengthy consultation they settled that the fish would feel shy of coming to them seeing so many together and it was therefore agreed they should separate all to meet again at the same place in five hours time after they had fairly divided their provisions into twelve parts each took his share and went whither his fancy guided him exact to the time the twelve again assembled together and adjourned to a tavern where it had been arranged the day should be finished in conviviality they were cold and wet to the skin but all declared they had had a delightful day each reserving his adventures till they were comfortably seated together most extraordinary adventures they had all had for one related how immediately that he had thrown his line well baited with a worm he hooked the most wonderful fish he had ever seen for though it only appeared on the top of the water for a moment at a time he could plainly discover that it was hairy and had a long tail he had given the creature line enough to play but when he had followed it more than a mile the line unfortunately broke for the beast was strong being quite as large as a cat that is extraordinary another one cried for i too followed a hairy fish such as i never saw before you must know as i went along looking for a likely spot i frightened the creature from the bank and it swam across the river as quick as possible i threw my worms just before its nose but it would not bite so like a shot i was in the water and waded across after it it took refuge in a hole and when i put in my hand to catch it it bit me so that i have not been able to use that hand all day and no doubt that is the reason i have not hooked a single fish the beast appeared for all the world like a rat a third then told his companions how he had wandered along the side of a river till he came to a mill where by the bubbles under the wheel he could see that the water was swarming with fish he threw in his bait and almost immediately had a bite he felt convinced that he must have hooked several large fish at the same time for no single one could have pulled the line with such force the line was strong so that it did not break and at length the rod itself was fairly dragged out of his hands and for a moment disappeared under the water the fish however must have broken away for the rod appeared again entangled in the wheel and was whirled round till it was dashed to pieces finishing the account of his startling adventure he said 
i am sure my friends that at that spot there will be plenty of sport for the whole twelve of us together and had it not been for that unlucky accident of losing my rod i should have brought fish enough for all our suppers various worthy adventures narrated several of them having narrowly escaped drowning as they said only that the water was not deep enough amongst the whole twelve only one fish was produced a small one which its fortunate captor had found floating dead upon the water when the last of the twelve had finished his account he said i am sure my good friends and neighbours that no twelve men ever had such an extraordinary day's fishing as we have had and had we not met with these unfortunate accidents we should have brought home such strange fish and in such quantities that the account of our day's sport would have been inserted in all the newspapers but my dear brethren we have been in many great dangers and i shudder when i think of it that perhaps one of us had been drowned let us count and see whether the whole twelve of us are safely here yes let us count all exclaimed for perhaps one of our dear brothers is drowned and what will his unfortunate widow do each of the twelve counted in turn and each only counted eleven omitting himself and then all cried out it is but too true that one of our dear brothers is lost who shall carry the sad news to his widow but first let us go back to the river and look for the body these twelve wise men went down to the river and searched every place where during the day either of them had been but no body was found which they bitterly bewailed as it was deprived of christian burial they then drew lots which of them should inform the unfortunate widow of her dreadful loss and when he on whom the lot fell inquired of the others to whose widow he should go and no one could tell him they bewailed still more bitterly that they could not discover which of their dear brothers was lost it happened that at this time a gentleman from the court was passing and seeing them in such distress asked the cause they said this morning twelve of us came down to the river to fish and one is missing whom we cannot find then the gentleman said what will you give me if i find your missing companion to which they answered that they would gladly give all the money they had if he could restore their lost brother to them he then made them stand in a row and riding along the back of them gave each such a smart cut with his whip that they cried aloud with pain and as they did so he numbered them but when he came to the twelfth he thrashed him till he and all his companions cried out for mercy for him and the gentleman said this is the twelfth of you whereupon they thanked him for restoring their lost brother to them chapter thirty seven the cobbler's wager one fine summer's day a strong active young man was sauntering along the exeter road with apparently no immediate object in view but to pass away the time for he certainly seemed in no hurry to reach the place of his destination if indeed such a thing was in his thoughts as it undoubtedly should have been for he was carrying home a pair of shoes he had taken the greater part of the week to mend 
you will guess by this that he was a cobbler by trade and from the way he was going on we may perhaps form an idea how it is that cobblers are proverbially so little to be depended upon in the performance of a promise at least when that promise refers to their work the young man we are talking of was not fond of work but being a merry jovial fellow was much liked in the neighbourhood where he lived more particularly as he was always ready to give a helping hand to any one who required the assistance of a strong arm and never hesitated to neglect his own business to help others perhaps too that sort of occupation was more profitable than mending boots and shoes for he always seemed to have money to spare when he met any companions of his own stamp at the different roadside inns he was now coming near to such a house and was hurrying to find a good excuse to turn in for the landlord according to his words was a man of the right sort when a butcher in his cart carrying a calf he had just bought whom he knew well overtook him no excuse was of course required now to drop in at tom turner's the landlord just mentioned if even he had not been standing at his door where however he was ready to welcome them the three were soon merry enough over a jug of foaming ale and the butcher in particular was in high spirits for he had not only made a good bargain but one he prided himself upon the landlord said to him i'm sure you've been playing your pranks off on some one or that you've overreached some poor wretch in a bargain makes you in such high glee this morning well i've not done so badly i think the butcher answered rubbing his hands a little mother's wit in one's head is worth having and where's the good if one doesn't use it you must know i particularly wanted a calf this morning indeed i couldn't do without it whatever price i had to give and as i happened to hear yesterday that old farmer hagen had some very fine ones i went to him now i didn't tell him that i wanted a calf leave me alone for that but i said i wanted some sheep which i knew he just happened not to have he told me that he hadn't any and as i expected then said he had some first-rate calves which he wished me to see i'm very sorry to hear it neighbor i said for calves are falling down to nothing in value since the celebrated dr tweedle came into these parts you know that he has declared veal to be the most unwholesome meat there is and that eating it is little short of eating poison so that no one will touch it i have two of the most beautiful calves you ever saw which i am but too happy to be able to get rid of at thirty shillings each just half what i gave for them a friend of mine has occasion for three which he is going to send off to a distance so i am glad to be able to do you a good turn if you are willing to part with one of yours on the same terms but it must be a good un old hagen was loath to part with one of his calves at such a price but was so frightened by what i had told him that he let me have the one that is outside in my cart saying i know neighbour that you are not a man likely to be overreached and that you would not sell at such a price if you saw a chance of getting a better one now the butcher continued does either of you think he could make as good a bargain as that and he chuckled again rubbing his hands as they both confessed that they gave in to him 
shortly after the cobbler rose to go saying as the butcher offered to give him a lift in his cart that he was going another way and as he went out he made a sign to the landlord to follow him when they were outside together he whispered i should like to play our boasting friend a good trick i wish with all my heart you could the landlord answered but he is a cunning fellow cunning as he is i've a great mind to steal the calf he's so proud of having cheated old hogan out of and then sell it to him again but at a double the price the cobbler said he's too deep for you said the landlord you can't do it what will you bet the cobbler asked anything you like was the answer well then the cobbler again said let it be a gallon of your best ale now you go back and manage as if without any particular motive to tell our friend that you have a calf that can be easily done as he is getting into his cart when you may as well say that it is just like the one he has you do this and leave the rest to me i hope with all my heart that you'll succeed the landlord said as he went back into the house and the cobbler hastened along the road which he knew was the butcher's way when he had got some distance from the house he dropped one of the shoes he was carrying home by the side of the road where it would be sure to be seen and then ran on some distance further where he dropped the other shoe choosing the spot close by an opening in the hedge by the roadside shortly after the butcher came the same way still chuckling over his morning's bargain and when he saw the shoe drew in his horse he was about to get out when he thought better of it saying there's some of that careless cobbler's work he evidently has come this way and dropped one of the shoes i saw him carrying but i'm not going to take the trouble to carry it after him let him come back and that will teach him not to refuse a civil offer again if he had but dropped the pair i should not mind getting out to pick them up though certainly it would not be to give them to him but to keep them myself with these friendly thoughts he drove on and before long saw the other shoe hello he said why that lazy rascal of a cobbler rather than go back when he discovered the loss of the one shoe has thrown the other one away as useless but i'll not be such a fool and won't begrudge a little trouble for the sake of a good pair of shoes so saying he jumped out of his cart and picked up the shoe and finding it was a good one ran back for the other leaving his cart standing in the road no sooner had he turned a corner in the road than the cobbler jumped out from behind the hedge where he had hidden himself and having lifted the calf out of the cart took it on his shoulders and hurried back with his load as fast as possible a short cut to tom turner's house tom received him with an acclamation of joy and as soon as they had stowed the calf away in a shed he produced some of his very best ale over which they discussed what was further to be done the cobbler said as soon as the butcher finds that his calf has disappeared and that there are no signs of it he will be sure to come back to you having heard you had one but be sure you do not let him have it a farthing under three pounds for you know that was the price named by himself and that he said he must have one to-day at any price when we have had our joke out we will give him back his money making him pay the amount of our wager and another gallon to boot but he is a slippery rogue 
so mind you do not part with the calf without receiving the money down and now what will you bet that i do not steal this very calf again the landlord enjoying the joke betted another gallon and his companion continued to prepare for another sale tell him as he is driving off tell him you have another calf the twin brother to this one and so like it that no one can tell one from the other after all that had been arranged the cobbler related every circumstance of that past adventure not forgetting the butcher's soliloquy to tom's infinite amusement and added take particular notice whether he says anything about finding the shoes for if he intends to act dishonestly we may alter our determination about giving him back his money he had scarcely finished when they saw the butcher's cart at the door so he hastened away to his former hiding-place the next moment the butcher was in the house and he cried out tom you must positively let me have that calf of yours for mine has played me an infernal trick and has run off i saw the brute and ran after it but it doesn't matter for i know where it is and can easily catch it again but i'm in a hurry so i thought it better to come back for yours how did it happen tom asked why my horse got a stone in its hoof and as i had to go a few yards off to get a dry stick to pick it out with the brute took advantage of my being away jumped out of the cart and got into a field by the side of the road when i got back though i saw it it had the start of me and i was not inclined to run far after it but now i'm in a hurry so tell me at once tom what you want for your calf tom answered you know that i do not quite believe in veal being poison in spite of the great doctor's opinion but to accommodate a friend i don't mind parting with it cheap though i really can't take less than three pounds the butcher finding that his own words were used against him made no difficulty but paying the money carried off the calf tom calling after him that if he lost that he had his twin brother for him he congratulated himself as he drove along that though he paid dearly for the calf he had at least got a good pair of shoes for nothing to make up for lost time he put his horse to its best trot but drew in suddenly when he got to the spot of his misfortune for he heard a sound like the bleeding of a calf he listened for a moment and then exclaimed in glee oh it's you is it my runaway now take my word for it you shall suffer for this he jumped out of the cart and got into the field but the bleating seemed to proceed from the next field and when he got there from another till he was led on to a considerable distance from his cart the cobbler who had imitated the bleating of a calf when he had led on the butcher till he had got confused hurried back to where the cart was and hastily taking out the calf got safely back with it to tom turner's tom who had scarcely expected success this time was fit to split his sides with laughter when he heard an account of this last adventure and in his turn told what had passed between him and the butcher why the rascal exclaimed the cobbler who was an honest fellow himself so he intends to steal the shoes for he knows well enough that they belong to me we'll give him another chance when he comes back for i'll tell him that i lost the shoes but if then he does not restore them why i'll sell them to him for his calf and the money we get out of him 
don't you think it will serve him right the landlord agreed that if he persisted in dishonestly keeping the shoes he would deserve to pay dearly for them adding if we could manage it it would be well to let him have his calf this time for nothing but the cobbler who was very indignant at the fellow's shuffling dishonesty said oh no no he deserves no manner of consideration but i hope he won't prove quite as bad as i think him the butcher soon returned and this time told the truth of the manner in which he had lost the calf but when the cobbler told him of his loss he was far from confessing that he had found the shoes and that they were then in his cart hidden under some straw he was out of humour at his own losses and said rather brutally you are so careless that your loss serves you right what is your loss to mine i have now paid four pounds ten for a calf and still haven't got one for my customers come tom my good friend you must be merciful this time and let me have your other calf a little cheaper if you'll let me have it for two pounds here's the money but if not i must go back to old haggins for one whilst this bargain was being concluded the cobbler went out and looking in the butcher's cart soon found his shoes which he took replacing the straw as he found it tom accepted the two pounds that were offered him and the butcher was this time allowed to get his dearly bought calf safely home but i'm sorry to say the owner of the shoes had to wait another day for them as the cobbler spent the remainder of that one with his friend and merrily they spent it chapter thirty eight the miller and his donkey there was a miller never mind in what part of the country who had a tall gawky son but their combined wit had not proved sufficient to keep their business in a flourishing condition for the poor man got poorer and poorer selling one thing after another that was not absolutely required to keep the mill going when indeed there was work for it to do till the turn came for the donkey to be sold this donkey had been a faithful servant to the miller who looked upon it as a friend and being a kind feeling man it was with a heavy heart he made up his mind to take it to the fair to sell but there is no resisting necessity on the day of the fair having some distance to go he started early and took his son with him that they might both see the last of their friend the donkey walked on in front thoughtfully and demurely as donkeys are wont to do whilst the father and son followed sorrowfully they soon got into the high road which was crowded with people going to the fair and the two poor simple fellows soon became the butt of the different wits that is a hopeful son of yours one would say to the father you must feel proud of him i should think and another would say to the son pointing with his thumb to his father the old un looks a tartar does he whip you much many of the like remarks we made to father and son loud enough to be heard by both though pretended to be in a whisper but the principal shafts were shot at them in conversations carried on round about not a word of which could they fail to hear did you ever see such an old fool as that said one to be walking along this hot road and his donkey going on in front with nothing to carry oh another said that's the donkey behind for he in front is much the wiser of the two 
i wonder another joined in the old fellow doesn't take more care of himself at his time of life if not for his own sake at least for his babies for what would become of the poor child if anything were to happen to him stung by these remarks the old man got on to the donkey though he regretted giving the poor beast such a load to carry and he sought to lighten it by partly walking for his long legs easily reached the ground this made matters worse for he soon heard one of his tormentors say look there was there ever such an old brute he's taking it easy and lets his poor boy toil along as best he can such an interesting child too oh if its mother did but know how cruelly her darling child is being treated hearing this the miller made his son take his place and wondered as he walked by his side whether he was now doing right he was as far from it as ever poor man for he very shortly heard an exclamation and this time from an old man whose opinion should carry some weight well this is too bad what will the world come to next he's a big lout of a fellow riding while his old father's walking it's disgraceful that it is for if even the fellow's lame at any rate he should make room for the old man the donkey's strong enough to carry the two now the miller got on the donkey in front of his son to whom he whispered not to weigh too heavily on the poor beast's back and they got on for some distance in peace but it was not to last long for when the donkey happened to stumble from kicking against a stone there was a general outcry they want to kill the poor beast is there no one to interfere but it's one comfort that cruelty to animals can be punished who'll inform against these two big brutes why either of them is strong enough to carry the poor little thing instead of breaking its back as they are doing with their weight when shall we do what's right said the poor miller get off my son and so will i and we'll carry the donkey between us surely then we shall not be blamed having borrowed a strong pole they tied the donkey's four legs to it and each one taking an end of the pole across his shoulder they managed though with great difficulty to carry it but it seemed impossible to please the people there was a general shout of laughter as the two poor fellows toiled along nearly weighed down by the load they were carrying but that was not enough for the most insulting epithets were showered upon them till worried and distressed beyond endurance the old man exclaimed in despair i see there is no doing right but as long as we remain together fault will be found so we must part my old friend and as they just then came to a bridge with his son's help he threw the donkey over the side into the river below chapter thirty nine dr dobbs and his horse nobbs dr daniel dobbs of doncaster had a nag that was called nobbs one day in the middle of winter the doctor having been summoned to attend a patient at some distance from his dwelling and being anxious to return home before it was dark rode poor nobbs very hard on his arrival not finding his man in the way the doctor fastened nobbs by his bridle to a rail in the yard and went into his parlour where he sat down to warm himself by a good fire 
it had happened that the doctor's dairymaid had brewed a barrel of strong beer which had been drawn off into the cooler and the dairymaid having been called away to milk her cows she had carelessly left the door of the brewhouse open the steam of the beer proved wonderfully inviting to poor nobs who had been hard road and now stood in the cold extremely thirsty after sundry efforts to get loose from the rail and repairing to the brew-house drank so heartily of the beer that before he was aware of it he fell down dead drunk the doctor's man coming home ran into the yard to convey nobs to the stable not finding him at the rail he looked about and at length discovered him stretched upon the ground cold and insensible bursting into the parlour where the doctor was seated with mrs dobbs he communicated to them the news of poor nobby's decease the doctor and mrs dobbs were both good-natured people and of course were much concerned but as the doctor never suffered misfortunes to get the better of his discretion he immediately gave orders that nobbs should without delay be flayed and that his skin should be taken next morning to the courier the doctor's man accordingly set to work poor nobbs was dragged to the dunghill his skin was stripped off and he was left to be eaten by the hounds he had not however lain long before the novelty of his situation had a considerable effect upon him as he had lost his skin of course the coldness of the night operated with double activity in dissipating the fumes of the beer which he had swallowed and at length he awoke got upon his legs and trotted away to the stable door which happened to be close by the parlour not finding it open and being both cold and hungry he began to whinny for assistance the doctor and his wife had just done supper and happened at that moment to be talking of the accident which had befallen their nag over a hot bowl of brandy punch no sooner had nobbs whinnied than mrs dobbs turned pale and exclaimed dr dobbs as sure as i live that is nobbs voice i know him by his whinny my dear said the doctor it is nobbs whinny sure enough but poor thing he is dead and has been flayed he had hardly said this before nobbs whinnied again up jumps the doctor takes a candle in his hand and runs into the yard the first thing he saw was nobbs himself without his skin the doctor summoned all his servants ordered six sheep to be killed and clapped their skins upon poor nobbs to make a long story short nobbs recovered and did his work as well as ever the sheepskin stuck fast and answered his purpose as well as his own skin ever did but what is most remarkable the wool grew rapidly and when the shearing season came the doctor had nobbs sheared every year he gave the doctor a noble fleece for he carried upon his back you know as much as six sheep and as long as nobbs lived all the doctor's stockings and all mrs dobbs flannel petticoats were made of his wool chapter forty the brownie there was once a farmer whose name was john burden a kindly industrious man who lived happily with his wife and children in an old house where his father had lived before him 
his five children were thriving and merry with no more quarrelling than is usual amongst children and altogether there was a quiet in the old house in spite of the games that were going on within of a sudden all this changed and everything seemed to go wrong whatever the game might be one of the children was sure to be hurt if they were playing at ball the ball would be sure to strike one or the other on the nose or in the eye on which a bellowing followed or if the game was puss in the comber or blind man's buff two or more of the children were certain to run their heads together or tear their clothes so that the good dame whose boast it had always been that they never got into mischief had now enough to do to repair the daily damage the farmer now hearing constant complaints said some evil spirit must have crept into the house and he was right enough a brownie or goblin had taken up his abode there and not finding the quiet within which the outside promised bestowed his ill-humour upon the inmates and daily invented some new scheme for tormenting the children in one corner of the kitchen in which they generally played there was a closet where the brownie had located himself and that he might watch them and see at what moment he could best torment them he had thrust out a knot that was in the closet door thus making himself a little window now it happened one day that the eldest boy had the shoe-horn in his hand and merely in play stuck it in the knot-hole whence it was immediately ejected striking the boy on the head as often as this was repeated so often it darted out such a good aim being taken that it invariably struck one of them on the head and generally the one who had put it there though one always suffered it was sport to the others and therefore the horn was frequently stuck in the hole so that the brownie became more and more irritated not confining his pranks to the children but making the parents suffer in various ways there would be noises in the night and things that were in daily use would all at once be mislaid and after ever so much trouble and worry found in places where they had already been a dozen times looked for there could be no doubt this was the brownie's doing and there could be still less doubt when the chair was moved back just at the moment when one of the old couple was going to sit down and he or she went rolling on the floor for then a laugh was heard proceeding from the moved chair this trick was played them more particularly when they had anything in their hands such as a cup of tea which would be emptied in the falling one's face and the laughing on such occasions was louder and longer at length unable to bear it the farmer determined to leave a house where there was no longer any comfort and if possible to let it the last load of the furniture was being removed and the farmer following with his wife said i'm heavy at heart at leaving the old house where for years we were so happy and perhaps we shall not find the new one half as convenient the new one will not be half as convenient was uttered in a strange squeaky voice which seemed to be in an old tub at the back of the cart oh oh are you there cried the poor farmer then we may as well turn back yes turn back said the squeaky voice they did in fact turn back and from that day peace was restored to the house 
for the brownie no longer tormented any of its inmates nor indeed gave any sign of being there excepting by immediately darting the shoehorn out whenever it was put in the knot-hole end of section nine end of a picture book of merry tales by anonymous